0: Welcome to China in Context, I'm Duncan Bartlett. The Communist Party has always placed considerable emphasis on the importance of history, never more so than under its current leader, President Xi Jinping. His speeches are full of references to the events over the past hundred years, as well as stories from China's ancient past. For Mr. Xi, the narrative follows China's steady progress towards prosperity, following a century of humiliation, which began with the Opium War in the 1840s. But some historians say that the party's version of history is too narrow and nationalistic. By brushing over past problems, they say, China misses the opportunity to learn valuable lessons and avoid future mistakes. I'm very pleased to welcome to the podcast today an expert on how the Chinese Communist Party explains its concepts of history both in China and internationally. He's Zeyu Zhu, a journalist from the news agency Xinhua. Zeyu joins us on the line from Beijing. Zeyu, welcome to China in Context. Thank you for having me today. Now let's start with Xi Jinping. He's launched a campaign to encourage members of the CCP to spend time learning about the history of the party. Why has he done that?
1: Well, uh, the campaign on party history learning and education was launched in February last year. As is known to many last year, marked the 100th anniversary of the Communist Party of China. I think it is imperative that a political party should have a full scale review of the path it's traveled and look back to its original aspiration, especially when it turns hundred years old. So, and it is especially the case for the Communist Party of China, which pioneered China's socialist movement by only 50 odd members a hundred years ago, but rose to power in the most populous nation on earth. This, This party also worked a seemingly impossible miracle to transform the once divided, dilapidated and largely agricultural country into the manufacturing powerhouse and the world's second largest economy. So as an ancient Chinese saying goes with the history as a mirror, what can understand the rise and fall of great powers? I think there's all the more reason for the ruling party now to draw strength through the prism of history in order to stay modest and prudent in the face of the aforementioned achievements and maintain strategic focus and confidence when meeting with a myriad of challenges home and abroad
0: today. Well, indeed, there are many challenges that China faces. And I can see that Mr. Xi draws a link between learning about the history of the party and solving practical current problems, such as corruption. How does historical education help in that regard?
1: As I said, uh, one can always expect to draw wisdom from the wellspring of the past experience. In terms of the fight against corruption, the Communist Party of China is known to have a record of showing zero tolerance to corrupted party members. For example, in the wake of taking national power, The Communist Party of China sentenced many senior party cutters to capital punishment on corruption charges like uh, Liu Qingshan and Zhang Zishan, despite their exceptional contribution in revolutionary times. They certainly serve as illuminating cautionary tales. On the other hand, there is a long line of role models as well in the party history that could inspire party members today to stay true to the Communist Party of China's cost of serving the people wholeheartedly. In this sense, connecting the dots between the Communist kind of Party of China's history learning and China's reality, whether it is anti-graft campaign or other matters, is quite natural and obvious.
0: I'd like to ask you a question about the concept of the so-called century of humiliation, which lasted from the 1840s, that was the time of the Opium War until the invasion of parts of China by Japanese imperial forces. How do you understand the century of humiliation?
1: Yeah, as you said, the century of humiliation began with the Opium War in the early 1840s when Britain forced open China's market and established colonial rule in Hong Kong, was followed by intermittent foreign invasions, destruction of social fabrics by external forces, and economic deprivation by Western powers. Even though those 100 years were a relatively short period of time in China's 5,000 years of history, it served as a constant alarm bell that the nation needs to achieve self-reliance and realize national rejuvenation. The more and a rate of China's political forces back then that strove to lift the country out of misery. The Communist Party of China in 1949 to be exact put an end to the dark chapter, and found a path to liberate the Chinese from the yoke of the imperialists and reactionaries. It stand testimony that only the communist party of China has the capability and the resolve to organize the Chinese people and to make political, economic, and social rearrangements in preparation for the common cause, which is the Chinese national rejuvenation.
0: I'd like to read a quote from Mr. Xi, which was actually in an article on the Xinhua News Agency website. The quote says, our party's history is a history of continuously adapting Marxism to the Chinese context. Well, to me, speaking frankly, it often seems as though the way that China is run nowadays, and indeed the way it interacts with the rest of the world, feels a long way from being Marxist. What's your view on that?
1: Yeah, that's very interesting. If you look at the Western liberal democracy today, whether in America or in Europe, you'll find that they're also quite a long way from the ancient Greek prototype to which many modern Western democracies often trace their origins. Does anybody still think it is feasible to reintroduce those regular ostracism or constant referendums or other forms of city-state direct democracy to the United States Capitol Hill or the Westminster? Well. Political models are in a state of constant change. Karl Marx famously said, the philosophers have only interpreted the world in various ways. The point, however, is to change it. The Communist Party of China is reshaping China's governance model since 1949. is not moving away from Marxism. On the contrary, it shows that the party has been practicing the most fundamental principle of Marxism by consciously initiating changes and reforms through his expanding knowledge of China's reality. Anyone familiar with China's revolutionary past will find that sticking to the dogma or copycatting other countries model is often counterproductive. Well, on the other hand, the reform and the opening up drive, the perfect example of adapting Marxism and socialism to China's context has catapulted the country to one of the world's strongest powers and the most vibrant economies in a matter of a few decades. So I think it proves that Marxism is still very much relevant today. And China has made the best of it by adhering to the Marxist principle guideline, which is seeking truth from facts and advancing with the times.
0: Fascinating that you draw a parallel there between ancient Greek democracy and the concept of referendums. I have to say, referendums, have caused a lot of political <laughs> trouble in my country, the United Kingdom. Yeah, sure. But let's go back to this issue of history. We often actually invite historians onto this podcast. And when I talk to them about the history of China, they say to me that the approach of the Chinese Communist Party, when it comes to teaching history, generally censors out all the recent problematic events in China, and most notably they say it overlooks the problems associated with the cultural revolution under chairman mao and they say that this approach to history prevents people from getting a clear objective understanding of china's past what's your view well i don't think it is really fair to say that the communist party
1: of china has shied away or you know censored so called controversial issues or the so-called problematic events. You know, shortly after the Cultural Revolution was brought to an end in 1981, a landmark session of the CPC Central Committee adopted a far-reaching resolution on history. In this document, the Cultural Revolution was not only labeled as a grave error, but also discussed in detail. The Communist Party of China's most recent resolution On history only last November explicitly referred to the Cultural Revolution as the 10 years of domestic turmoil and acknowledged Mao Zedong's mistake in launching and leading the movement so up to now there are also certain chapters in the history textbooks of the compulsory courses devoted to educating students on that part of the story on that part of the history so I it can be seen as an effort to remind the following generations not to repeat that same error or same mistake again. It is with a spirit of you know, error correction and the resolve to reconcile with the past that the Communist Party of China set the stage for the emancipation of thought and trailblaze a new path of developing socialism with a bold move of reform and opening up in the wake of the Cultural Revolution.
0: That's interesting that it's still being identified as a a grave error and a a period of turmoil. There's a particular phrase which comes up in speeches by President Xi and indeed some of the other party leaders. That phrase is historical nihilism. Now that's a bit of jargon. Uh, I think it means that historical nihilism is a rejection of any interpretation of the history of China which is out of step with the view of the party. What's your view on this?
1: From my understanding, it it is not rejecting any interpretation outside the line of the party, but it's actually historical nihilism is about rejecting common sense and manipulating collective memories validated by solid proofs. You know, it also falls in the category of historical nihilism to deny Holocaust, which is likely to be condemned by the international community and it's certainly now punishable by the criminal law in Germany. That being the case, taking a stance against historical nihilism is not and should not be exclusive to China. You know, the word history in ancient Greek actually came from the word inquiry, you know, from the famous masterpiece by Herodotus. It means that history is open to discussion and interpretation, yes. But those various narratives should be based on our current historical findings and should be set in the course of inquiring what really happened in the past. But making statement that widely deviate from the historical records becomes commonplace and does not incur much of criticism like, you know, denying Holocaust or denying Nanjing massacre. Then the collective memory of the nation or even the entire human race is subject to widespread misrepresentation. In this sense, I think, it is our actually our joint duty to counter historical nihilism, whatever this kind of act is called in China or the other parts of the world.
0: How do you think this campaign to educate people about the history of the Chinese Communist Party relates to the important party meeting later this year at which members will decide whether to invite Xi Jinping to remain as China's leader?
1: Yeah, okay. I believe the party meeting you referred to is the 20th Communist Party of China's National Congress. And still, it is still far too early to tell who will be elected as the general secretary of the party by the CPC Central Committee. What is clear now is that this important meeting will be set to review the ruling party's performance over the past five years and set the goal for the next five and beyond. So naturally, this monumental meeting, charting the course for over 90 million party members also calls for revisiting past experience and lessons. So looking back to the party's national congresses in history, many of them generated profound impacts that can still be felt today. To name a few, the first national congress founded the party itself, the second formulated the party constitution, the fourth formed the United Front against imperialism and warlords, the seventh officially included Mao Zedong thought into the party's guideline. Taking full account of the past is actually crucial for such a landmark event. You know, just so to help to make sure the attendees of the upcoming National Congress and the other party members are fully aware of the historical responsibility they are carrying.
0: zhe thank you very much for explaining this issue to our audience. I think your answers have been very revealing. That was zhe Zhu on the line from Beijing. He's a journalist with Xinhua. This podcast is made by the SOAS China Institute, part of the University of London. And there are details of our courses and events on our web pages, soas.ac.uk. But for now, that's all from us here on the China in Context podcast team.